Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, hey Daniel, how you doing? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing good. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. <clears throat> Trying man. to avoid the plague. Oh, I know. Strange times. Um, <coughs> I know you own a, a martial arts school. I do as well. And it is, um, man, it's interesting. What's, uh, what are things like in Alabama? Do you guys have like a projected time that you're going to start phasing things back in? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're, um, I, I've seen people, I don't know, the host has asked you to start your video. Sorry, this is my first time on Zoom I'm on my phone, so I had to agree to some things. Um, yeah. But, uh, no, uh, I think I've seen people talking about May 1st. You know, we teach karate, too. So, I feel like we might get back to teaching a little bit of karate before we teach jiu-jitsu. Um, luckily, I have in place a big online database of videos that my students, all my students get free access to. So, their entire curriculum, even jiu-jitsu, is online. And, you know, these guys didn't really even take advantage of it when we first started it. But now they're like, you know, studying, practicing at home, getting family mem members introduced. We surprisingly we haven't had anybody quit yet, you know. So I That's think it's excellent. yeah. I mean, and 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 this gives people I think a good reason. I think is it's been good to keep the students engaged. You know, just they they seem to all really miss it and can't wait to get back. I've had people wanting to sign up, you know. So I mean, it's during this time, and it's you know, uh, hopefully we can get back in action soon. I mean, I don't. I really don't know how I'm going to approach the jujitsu portion. I'm imagining it's going to open up later than the karate, though. Yeah, that's kind of – it kind of seems like a – I was looking at the phases they put out, and it seems like a phase three or four um, before we can start doing a lot of rolling or larger groups. But No, I have seen schools doing groups and stuff, but, you know, or, or, or fixing to do – getting ready to do groups with jujitsu and doing, like, drills. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know how many students I can motivate to come to the dojo and just do drills, you know, not put your hands on somebody. You can do that at home. <laughs> For sure. Man, um, how long have you been doing your website? We had um, Brandon McCatherine in probably a year ago, and he was telling me about your website then. Um, and I've been kind of following you. I remember I, when I first followed you online, you had just put out the Elio Gracie flying armbar video. Oh, okay. It gives you any dating, but, um, okay. Yeah. That was a while back. Uh, yeah. you know, luckily I, I think, you know, you know, I, I was able to jump on that a little bit earlier on and it's, it's helped me out a lot just locally. I feel like too, you know, just, um, people sharing your videos and stuff and being more active. I'm not typically the, I wasn't the person to be active on those things, Instagram and, uh, Brandon got me turned on to all that stuff, you know? So he helped me start the website. Now the website's a lot better. We've since moved to platforms, I guess, you know, as the years of, uh, and, uh, kind of progress, like that stuff has been able to, there's more you can do with it. Uh, those online platforms, uh, technique videos, uh, you know, like I said, I can give my entire student database free access to it and still, uh, you know, have certain videos that, that are a part of my school's curriculum that they um, only my students can see, you know, material that's just for them that other students probably wouldn't even be interested in. 
you know, so they can still come to the online videos of the Daniel O'Brien online. And I feel like since then, my jujitsu has even changed a lot. You know, it's evolved a lot since then. So um, now I can post a video on a guillotine, which I posted a video on a guillotine, you know, a couple years back and it's still probably, you know, helped a lot of folks. Like now my guillotine's completely different, you know, so I can go post it. It's it just, I don't know. I feel like we're in a good time where you can log all that kind of stuff for your students and for the future and to kind of help preserve everything. So I, I used to be a hater on videos, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I did it and it, my videos are able to influence people outside of, you know, my academy. Man, I share your stuff all the time just because they all, and like every little video, it seems like you put out has like a, a nuance to it, like a, like a subtle little detail that you haven't heard before, you know? Um, and <laughs> I appreciate I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one of my students, which he's actually, he knows, I think your instructor and has trained, uh, I think he's trained with you, but I was telling him, I was like, Hey, I'm about to do a podcast, Daniel O'Brien. And he was like, man, I'm such a fan. I really need to be more mature about it, but it's super hard. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here, I have a question. Do you know this guy right here? Um, it's, that, it's one of these yeah. SSGT manuals, man. Okay, yeah, I've seen, uh, yeah, those are like SSGT or Equalizer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, uh, you're like the, the guy in the photos, are you not? Am I the guy in the photos? No, that's my, uh, that's my older brother. He looks oh. just, he looks a lot like me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's, a he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu too. Really? Cool. Yeah, I've got two brothers, and we both we all came up like doing martial arts together. We saw my instructor on a TV show. Um, he 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 was an actor. He uh, not only that, but he was a he was a famous karate guy. Like, I mean, he just won all these national tournaments. Was on the uh, Paul Mitchell karate team, which that was a huge deal. You know, I mean, all uh -huh. the uh, he he um, he. Um, was on the TV show with the guys that actually played the Mortal Kombat characters in the video game. You know, like, the, you know how they had live actors play the characters and they would do punches? You know, the guy that was Liu Kang and all the ninjas, that was like the same guy, apparently. He was uh, on the TV show with Johnny. They were on a show where they, like, fought ninjas. It was like American Gladiator and stuff. We loved it as kids and got interested in martial arts you know fought his three brothers coming up watching wwe and you know finally got some discipline when we started martial arts at you know 15 16 and got got tough beating each other up you know? yeah yeah i mean that's so funny like this whole time we thought that was a short-haired daniel o'brien in these manuals that's funny yeah, yeah no that's my brother he uh he looked better in the polo so <laughs> i was too scrawny <laughs> Man, that's awesome having um, brothers that also to train with. Did you guys do karate early on together and then start doing jiu-jitsu after that? Yeah, so we started getting taken down in the karate classes and stuff. And I, you know, I'd never seen UFC or anything. I was just like, uh, you know, I'd punch dudes and you'd pull punches and stuff and certain guys would just like walk right through them to be able to grab you. And once they grabbed you, you couldn't stop them. I remember when I uh, first came into my first jiu-jitsu class, like, and I was where I saw people doing jujitsu, I was like, I'm not doing that. You know, <laughs> it's a little bit too, uh, too, uh, it was different times. It was too close for comfort for me at that time, you know, <laughs> and I just didn't want to, I don't, jujitsu definitely wasn't cool. You know, it wasn't cool to be on the ground, um, uh, 
rolling with another guy. I don't even think it was okay back then, you know. But uh, anyways, I was in high school. And uh, finally, you know, we did the class, fell in love with it. Um, you know, started getting taken down in the karate class. Me and my older brother became black belts in jiu-jitsu. Uh, my younger brother, it takes 10 years to get a black belt in karate at our school. So, oh, wow, great. Yeah, so my younger brother and my older brother and myself are all black belts in karate. And, uh, well, my younger brother's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. You have to be at least a blue belt in jiu-jitsu at our school to get a black belt in karate because That's we want great. to make sure you can defend yourself on the ground and stuff and defend off takedowns and just, you know, obviously jujitsu is great for self-defense, you know? So, um, the karate guy don't know any jujitsu. Does he really know how to defend himself at that point? You know, and you know, vice versa, a jujitsu guy should know how to keep his hands up and be in a stance, you know, like just real basic things to be able to use as jujitsu. And, uh, so that was my instructor's kind of understanding. He trained a lot with Hickson, um, way back when Hickson was training people out of his garage uh my instructor while he was filming the tv show would fly out there and do private lessons with Hickson in his garage and they developed a really great friendship um and you know Hickson's been to Alabama several times um stayed at my instructor's house the first biscuits and gravy that was ever had by Hickson was had at the first time he ever tasted gravy was at my instructor's house. Wow. <laughs> and he was like, what is this gravy? And uh, my instructor's like, well, you know, you talks about cooking the lard and stuff, however you make gravy and putting some flour in it. And he's like, so you're telling me you cook the lard? And he's like, what is this shit? <laughs> and he's like, oh. he's like, I'm not eating that shit. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's great, man. I mean, so I mean, they, you know, Hickson don't let a lot of people close to him, but um, you know, he's just kind of th that way now. You know, it's kind of hard to be on his inner circle if you're not already there. And my instructor's in there. Like, I mean, he calls and asks about my instructor's kids and stuff. So we have a really good relationship with him, and uh, we also have a great relationship with Carlos Machado, who was like the first. Uh, you know, we're, we're really almost affiliated with Carlos Machado. It's just like our part of our jiu-jitsu lineage is Carlos. You know, when Hickson went back to Brazil, uh, my instructor trained with Carlos uh, almost extensively. That's where he got his training. And, you know, Hickson was like, you know, he's a lot closer. You go to Texas and train with Carlos. At the time, he was on uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, you know, uh, Chuck, on the set teaching and uh, helping Chuck Norris out. And they had a little dojo on the set so Chuck Nor Norris could, like, you know, I guess train on his break and stuff. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so my instructor uh, went out there a couple times and, you know, I don't think he ever trained with Chuck Norris, but he did train, you know, a lot with Carlos and uh, they developed a great relationship. You know, Carlos is family man. My instructor's a family man, good morals, just a great leader, great role model, uh, great, great person to, um, you know, if you're a kid to look up to and, just adult anything that matters Carlos is a great person so we developed a really good relationship with Carlos um and um you know it's just the rest is history you know have we see Carlos a couple times a year um I've been lucky enough to go out there and teach a seminar at Carlos's school which I never thought that you know as a kid like you're kind of like my first seminar was Carlos and now I'm like I was able to teach a seminar at his school you know and Carlos is like family to me um, but, uh, no, uh, we're really lucky on our lineage. So, yeah, I, man, I have, um, 
it's hard, I think, for people that haven't trained with Hickson or haven't trained with somebody that is close to Hickson and has that kind of style to, or flavor or however you want to uh, describe it to their jiu-jitsu. It's special. I only got to train with Hickson twice, and I can't explain in enough words how pro – like, it changed so oh, yeah. much. For real. Um, influence from that, you know. You can – especially, like, I'm glad, like, I went – I was experienced when I – got my first Hickson lesson, you know, because it kind of like changed my world. I was like, man, it's like, I'm, I'm really trying too hard in jujitsu. I should be using less energy. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I'm getting out. Uh, I remember Hickson held me in a position and he was like, all right, uh, you know, uh, get out or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm getting out of this. And it was just like a headlock, you know, like, I mean, he didn't even have my arm. It wasn't case of Katame. It was like just a headlock. And, you know, like, I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of Hickson's headlock. And then I, I got, I, he was barely holding me and I struggled my butt off to get out. At this time, I think I was a brown belt Pan Am champion, you know? So I'm like, I'm also kind of, you know, you kind of got a little bit of an ego at that point, you know, <laughs> young, young guy, you don't really know anything. And I get out of his headlock, but I remember I was struggling and like my hair was kind of like messed up afterwards. And, you know, to me, at that time, that's kind of like a victory, you know. But then Hickson said, um, uh, basically, you tried too hard. You know, he was, like, barely holding on to me. He was you know, and I was just like, man, I was. I was like, I mean, he really wasn't even trying, you know. And he was just trying to make a point to show me that I was trying too hard, you know. And at that point, I realized, you know, I, a lot of the jiu-jitsu I've been doing, I'm just trying too hard, you know. Um it's working for me because I'm making things work. I'm not allowing jujitsu to work. I wasn't able to, you know, I knew a bunch of techniques, but, um, you know, I was kind of blinded by just trying to hurry up and do the techniques and not, uh, you, you know, maybe to prove, prove to myself that I was good, which in reality, that's not what you should be doing when you're training. You don't, you don't have nothing to prove to yourself. You want to prove to yourself that how bad you are, you know, if I can, find uh i, I want to try to do the technique effortlessly i want to try to find something wrong with the technique some way i can make the technique better you know and once you start uh just tra tra changing your attitude during training i feel like it really helps your jujitsu be more conceptual and more detail oriented and more feeling and paying attention you know it's like you're a counter fighter you're adapting to uh the changes, you know, I think that's a part of being a good fighter is just your ability to adapt to changes, you know, and how smoothly and any change, you know, you, you don't want to be caught off by surprise. You want to be able to adapt to surprise. Um, I feel like, um, you know, it's a big part of martial arts in general. And I, I think, you know, that's Hickson's been a big influence on that. How many times have you got to train with Hickson? Uh, I want to say I've got to train with Hickson through, three or four times, three times, maybe, I think at least three times. So I would say, um, you know, total, I, th I think he did some six hour sessions. So this may be like eight. Hickson teaches six hour seminars, you know, and it'll be like two parts. It'll be six hours one day and six hours another day, you know, <laughs> which yeah. I'm, I'm grateful. You know, I'm sitting there like a kid in a candy store. Um, you know, as far as, as far as rolling, you know, I haven't really got to roll with Hicks or anything. And I, I really don't have to at this point, you know, I don't have to. And, uh, 
I, I don't blame the guy for like, you know, being selective of who he rolls with because it's, I mean, people would try to hurt him. You know, he don't, he don't know people unless you're on his inner circle, you know, um, he's, he's got too many injuries and things like that. And it's just, I mean, it's not worth getting hurt at this point, you know? So I don't blame him. I, I know I've had guys come in and it's like, Oh, they act like they're going to do some sort of nice role with you. And then they try to take your head off. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's cool and stuff, but, you know, I think I think they need to learn quickly. Like, luckily I have students now that can, like, you know, handle that stuff too. You know, it's like, there'll be a good test for you. Go out there. <laughs> Ad enforcers. Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, it's like what – um, I know that I, it, it, according to what I've heard, like your instructor, Johnny Lee Smith, he has a lot of, of Hickson's uh, influence in, in what he teaches – um, I see that based off what access I've had. And a good friend of mine, Jack Topper, has done a lot of privates with Hicks and trained with him a lot. He's a day comma white belt. And I've gotten to work pretty extensively with Jack and have picked, a, picked up some great conceptual things, like uh, just like things I, I wish I would have learned at a, a much younger level in relation to posture, right? Like just some things that I applied to like, oh, this is everywhere. It's bottom, top, standing. What are some takeaways, uh, or whether you got it from Hickson or not, or just like some big sort of underlying principles of how you see and approach technique? Huh. I'm trying to think about like what kind of specific question that is. Like, where does a technique start? Uh, can well, you give me well, an example of somebody's crushing me with, from side control or something, how I would start to well, execute? Okay, so, I mean, more like what I'm saying is, like, things I learned from Jack that he was like, dude, I learned this from Hickson, was, like, how to apply distribution of weight across, like, all of these lines in jiu-jitsu. Okay, you know? gotcha. Or what Hickson refers to as this concept of the middle. Or yeah. posture. Like, that was a big takeaway from my first seminar I did with Hickson. I was like, oh, I don't even know how to stand. Huh. Yeah. Great. You know, but these those are some principles that I've like I've found in like the style of stuff that he puts out, watching his old seminars. There just seem to be some unifying things that like are those nuances of see, all I have to do is look up on this Americana and it crushes your soul. Yeah. A distribution of weight. Yeah, yeah. So so there so I guess I'll talk about like my experience from Hickson and like, you know, taking a lot of those moves that he would show at seminars and even moves you guys can check out on his website. Like I highly recommend it. Um, the website's kind of like hard to uh, use a little bit. Like, I don't think it's very, defense unit. yeah, I don't think it's very user friendly, but, uh, but, uh, but I do think there's some great stuff on there, especially for Hickson, not ever putting out videos. I mean, that's a real blessing to have a guy like yeah. him and, and, I think, you know, the jujitsu community as a whole, you know, the majority of the stuff is self-defense, you know, it's like uh, bear hugs and stuff like that. But I mean, if you go to a Hickson seminar, he's going to teach that too. You know, he's going to teach a lot of self-defense, but um, you know, so, so at first glance, you know, people don't want self-defense. They want to fly an arm bar. They want, you know, they want you to do a backflip and land into a, you know, a choke or something, you know, they want to learn something, flashy and cool um which is fine like you know um i think musashi actually talks about that in the book of five rings how 
how, you know, it's not like, um, like it's easy to impress somebody who doesn't know much, you know, and you, you impress them with something that looks cool. You know, you don't impress them by showing them where exactly to put your weight when you're doing an Americana, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't impress them by uh, showing them how to, uh, be heavy and not be picked up from a bear hug. But, you know, so people don't, I don't think there's as many people taking advantage of these videos as they should, there should be, you know, um, anyways, I know I learned stuff from the videos and I'm a third degree black belt. You know? <laughs> so, uh, anyways, um, so let's just take, for example, you know, the bear hug videos or the bear hug lessons that Hickson teaches at his seminars. He talks about how to hang weight in a bear hug, how to not be picked up. And that principle doesn't just apply in the bear hug. It it applies in, you know, when somebody's got their legs around you in the guard, how to hang your weight into their feet to break their feet open. You know, it's that posture translates from top and bottom, even from how to escape side control. There's ways, it's how to project your weight into your partner and how to, you know, push off the floor properly in an effortless way, how to do all this in an effortless way in order to make your escapes more effective. So that, that posture, the feeling of being heavy, the feeling of being heavy and the feeling of making, you know, you can feel when your partner's suffering, you know, you can feel that through your body sometimes and, and recognize that feeling and translating it into other areas is the underlying lesson behind a lot of those techniques. So in Hicks and self-defense techniques, you can learn how to make your, you know, if you, there's something in his bear hug defense that teaches you how to make your 50, 50 heel hook better. You know, you just got to be able to listen to it. It all translates, you know, um, it can be off the wall like that. Jiu-jitsu is very simple. And I think at, you know, as a, uh, as a practitioner, you know, when I've, before Hicks and Gracie seminars, and when I first won the Pan Ams, I knew a lot of techniques. I knew a lot of techniques. And I was like, okay, if this don't work, I've got a plan here. And this is going to go here. And this is going to go here. And I had this little series that I won the Pan Ams with, like, um, I had grappled with Carlos Machado at that point, And I like knew what like beautiful jujitsu felt like. And then I went to a Hicks and Gracie seminar and I was like, man, like I, I won, but I feel like I won with like using jujitsu techniques, but I didn't win using jujitsu, you know? Um, I knew a lot of techniques and I had some plans, but I didn't smoothly, I didn't take what was easiest for my opponents. I just made things work. You know, I was a different grappler then. It's like you're firing a machine gun of techniques and maybe one lands, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a different kind of grappling. That's not what I think jujitsu is. I think jujitsu is your ability to adapt, adapt to the changes. It's a lot simpler than that. You know, um, it's about sometimes not imposing your will, but being submissive in order to get something that you actually want, you know, sometimes. So sometimes you got to give a little to get some, you know, and you're not always just trying to impose, impose, impose your, your will. You know, I think it's, um, it's learning to, uh, make your opponent go for something, go for things that you're opening up and using their force against them in order to create a more effortless opportunity in order to get your opponent to let your guard down. Like you want to be good at like using your body as a tool to make your opponent let their guard down. You know, you just like you can feel an opponent's suffering. You can feel when your opponent's kind of uh, 
alert, you know, when they're being cautious. Um, you know, even as a striker, you want to give somebody your head a little bit so that they'll, you know, if you don't, if you just barely give them your head, they're going to maybe swing at it with caution. But if you give them their head altogether, they're going to swing at that thing a lot more ruthlessly, you know, um, you want to make them actually take bait and stuff. So as a jujitsu practitioner, you want to be good at like giving people bait and getting them good at, you know, getting good at taking, uh, getting them to take the bait and then reeling them in right when they take the bait. Like, I think that's uh, an important aspect of jujitsu. So Hickson talks a lot about the three elements of jujitsu, which are going to be the physical elements. I guess that's body control, the mental elements, which is, you know, um, you know, I, I guess, just being, uh, I mean, obviously jujitsu is very mental, you know, but there's also one that's overlooked and that's kind of the spiritual element. And Hickson talks about the spiritual element. He said the physical, the mental and the spiritual, uh, that was one thing that resonated with me a lot. And I think since doing jujitsu, like, um, like my, my, my spiritual relationship has gotten a lot better, uh, with God and just, just, I feel like more in, in touch with myself since, um, in a match, I depend on my feelings more and paying attention to my feelings rather than paying attention just to the mental side. It's like the spiritual is, is feeling and trying to, uh, you know, give in sometimes when you, you know, give up when, when you should, when you should give up instead of continuing to fight. Sometimes continuing to fight gets you caught. Sometimes giving it up shows you an easy way out. Um, so, um, I think that's a lot of uh, the reason that my defense has gotten, you know, um, a lot better is just, is, is just adapting that philosophy, not being afraid to go in deeper into submission sometimes, you know, um, just kind of letting all that go. You learn that through the, that's kind of the hardening process of jujitsu. I think if you stick with it long enough and you're on the mat long enough, like um, you'll definitely become, it'll help you in all the aspects, the physical, side you'll be more flexible you'll be stronger you'll be in control of your body the mental side obviously your ability to solve puzzles and things like that and then the spiritual side the ability to be able to trust in your feelings and express your own feelings through the art you know make your own choices adapt to the changes almost instantly you know um, yeah man um you mentioned uh, a couple of times competing in pants i had no idea you won pants um but it doesn't surprise me uh, what I was the first person in Alabama to win a big tournament like that at a high level. It was, uh, uh before I ever had any of my MMA fights, uh, I was, a uh, I won the Pan Ams at Brown belt. And at the time it was like one of the, the weight class was the big, one of the bigger divisions there, but I did, I won all my matches on, uh, by points, you know, it'd be like by like two points or something like that. I wasn't, you know, I was a guard guy and, I mean, there's some videos online you can watch. It is like completely different. I encourage people to watch that kind of stuff, you know, because it's just like it's two different types of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, man, like what – and I saw a video. I was just like looking around on YouTube and stuff. I saw a video of you competing in Alabama last year. Um, I know I've, I first want to say um, – the first uh, competition video I'd seen of you, you hit a ball and what people call a ball and chain armbar. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. So I don't know. I think you were already a black belt at that time. Um, I'm pretty pretty sure you were. 
but so like you've competed uh, pretty extensively in a lot of different organizations. Um, do do rule sets even matter to you anymore? Or are you just down to do whatever? Uh, you, you know, like now I'm kind of more down to do whatever. I I guess I like the submission only rules better. You know, I like submission only, no time limit. Like to me, that's perfect. You know. Uh, encourages people to be no, but nobody wants to watch that either, though, you know. <laughs> I guess, uh, but, um, anyways, like, uh, I, I love the gi, obviously, like, I love the gi too, you know. So, I mean, and I don't typically, I do, I do see the value in gi rules, like, you know, part of jujitsu being a martial art for self defense is is almost you need to be rewarded for being in positions where you could hurt your opponent, you know, uh, rather than guys starting their matches, like just kind of scooting on their butts the whole way, you know, like, I don't like, um, I think that, uh, I, again, that's not bad for sport, but it kind of like, you know, with rules, people start to play the rules that kind of this stuff kind of degrades the art a little bit. It kind of takes away from it. Um, but, um, anyways, so less rules, obviously, you'll have less of that, you know? Um, um, but I do, I do believe in, I, I, I like competing both sides. Gi, no gi, submission only, um, you know, points, no points. It's, it's all fun. And they all kind of have their own little, their own place. You know, I'm not really a competitor, but sometimes I'll like, if there's a competition coming up, uh, I'll, uh, get the itch to test myself. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, man, I've seen, I've, I've watched you on EBI. I've seen you uh, do ABCC trials and, and just even over the past two or three years have seen you do some awesome Nogi stuff. And they like said, I think it was an IBJF match from last year that I saw. Um, so like one thing um, that like when I saw you do, I was like, what a warrior, but I know you caught some, some shit for it a little bit was you entered a jujitsu tournament and you cleaned out the division blindfolded. I actually did not clean out the division. Oh, did not? Okay, sorry. No. Uh, um, I did. I did get heel hooked by. Uh, I got hit heel hooked in the uh, in the semifinals, but uh, they. It's a it's a big tournament. Um, it's a big tournament. Um, I, they were trying to. So, I, I you know I got some flack for it, and the reason I got flack, I definitely understand why you get flack, especially on the outside going in but when you hear the backstory or you take time to listen to the backstory um everybody at the tournament was okay with it okay uh, and i made sure of that before i did it and it was a tournament i'd won the absolute division you know two years in a row at that tournament and the promoter kind of called me and asked me if i was going to compete again and he was like getting ready to get my room ready and he's like we got your room and stuff and i was like you know i'm not really wanting to compete so i uh i had been training blindfolded at the time you know like almost extensively because I would just wanted to be better. You know, I was not sitting on a, like I was doing takedowns and stuff blindfolded, you know, I was like going two on one blindfolded and I was just having a blast. Like now when I went, uh, took the blindfold off, like I almost couldn't even, like it was weird having my eyes open, you know? Um, so I grappled almost extensively blindfolded for, two months and that was just a decision I wanted to make for my training you know I wanted to improve myself and that was a trick that I was gonna do I was gonna commit myself to a certain time limit to 
not take the blindfold off and see how much better I got in that period of time or how much it helped me, how much it helped me adapt to the changes. Um, you know, a lot of my training partners are white belts and stuff and like big guys like farmers and, and, you know, and then you also got like some hungry blue belts and some higher level belts and stuff. These guys are like, you know, trying to spear me and, you know, <laughs> my dojo and like, we're just, we're having a lot of fun. It made my takedown defense so much more impulsive and, uh, adapt quicker like it was like uh, once somebody you know somebody touches you before they hit you it's like a split second you know they kind of there's some contact and you know honestly your ability like if you're anticipating the contact that's exactly how you get taken down you know you kind of stiffen up too early um but if you're loose and relaxed once you receive that contact you can kind of react to the contact and adapt right when it needs to be and like stuff takedowns at certain angles if they're behind you you know bear hug defenses they may try to suplex you whatever so i was having a lot of fun working takedowns blindfolded and you know one of the guys that trains at another school he uh he he was a black belt he was he was like you know and he, he was just joking around he's like you should compete blindfolded we were just having coffee one day and i was just like like once i had that idea in my in my mind you know, I, I was honestly like grappling with two black belts blindfolded and beating them, you know, at the same time. Um, and so at that, at that point I was like, I just kind of had that idea in my mind and me being like, if I have an idea and like, at that point it was just one of those things. If I didn't do, I felt like I was a coward. You know what I'm saying? Like, I felt like it was something I had to do for myself, like as a learning experience, because it was scary you know, uh, not, not necessarily the grappling, the person blindfolded, but the getting out there at a tournament blindfolded, you know, and doing takedowns and stuff. So I started all my matches like standing, you know, and got the takedown in basically all my matches, either that or guys were pulling guard. The last guy, you know, faked an arm drag, pull guard and put me in a heel hook, which I defended the first one and caught me on the roll in the second one, you know, um, great heel hooker, Quentin Rosen, Rosenswig, uh, they, uh, he's an EBI competitor. Um, anyways, so, um, yeah, my first match, I, well, I guess before my first match, um, you know, or before even considering the tournament, um, I called the promoter and I was like, you know what, since I had already won this tournament, um, you know, there's some great guys in this tournament. I wouldn't have competed blindfolded if it wasn't a tournament. The guy was begging me to compete, right? Um, and I wouldn't have normally competed in this tournament uh, just because I'd already won it a couple times. It wasn't really even – it wasn't something I was motivated to even do, you know, uh, compete in this tournament originally. Um, I had some students wanting to compete. Well, um, I called him and told him, you know – I would compete if he would let me compete blindfolded, but only if the competitors were okay with it, you know? Um, and it was something that I had to do for myself at that point. Like I just wanted, it was like me dealing with fear. Um, I wanted to see how my body reacted under that stressful situation. If I could still perform well, you know, if I could still, you know, a self-defense situation is very surprising and very, very has a lot of anxiety and, and it's your ability to deal with that anxiety, you know? Um, so 
I had something I had to prove to myself. Um, top level competitors in this tournament. The year that I'd won it before, uh, like Alec Balding was in it. He had, did ADCC trials, and that was the year I won it. Uh, uh, rear naked choked Alec Balding. Um, Tex Johnson was in it. I hill hooked Tex Johnson. Like, I mean, there, there's some serious competitors in in this thing. It's like world champions and stuff. You know, you got Alliance and the headquarters and stuff down there, and a uh, uh, lot lot of big schools in Atlanta. You know, I think Atlanta's like an underrated jujitsu hub. Um, but anyways, um, so I, at the rules meeting, I discussed with the competitors, hey, you know, in a nice way, I was like, uh, I talked to Byron, the the organizer. Um, he He's agreed to let me. I told him why I was competing blindfolded, that I wanted to control my fear and stuff, and that, you know, if I competed up against anybody, I didn't want them to show me any mercy because I'm wearing a blindfold. Uh, I told him to come at me like in a nice way. You know, I was like, I did. I don't want you to treat me any differently. Um, everybody was okay with it. You know, um, everybody was cool with it. Supr you know, and I, I said, if there's anybody in here that doesn't want me to do this, like I don't have to. I'm not. I don't have to compete. You know. Like, I was like, I, I won't compete this way. Like, it was their choice also. So, everybody agreed. They had the big rules meeting. Um, it's a big open tournament, you know. And and, and uh, any belt in the open division, like, any belt level can compete. Okay? Any belt level can compete in, like, any size, open weight classes. So, it's really fun. There's, like – I mean, sometimes there's, like, 150 competitors. You know what I'm saying? And then, you, and then you'll have every – now, now – Usually, first match, like a black belt might get like a white belt or something, you know. <laughs> uh, these guys were not uh, going to have it if, if I wasn't for real. So, my first match was against a world champion, black belt, okay. That don't even happen. They usually try to br bracket you on different sides, you know. Oh, Especially man. like the black belts, they're showing like favoritism, you know. They'll put you on different sides. No. No, my first match was against a multi-time world champion black belt, um, who I'd lost to in uh, several years before, like in some previous matches, getting DQ'd for reaping. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, so this guy, I love him to death. You know, we've we've since then we've have we've had uh, we've exchanged words. I, I love the guy. He's a super nice guy. Okay. He didn't show up for the rules meeting. He did the old, you know, I'm a black belt. I'm not going to come to the rules meeting. I'm too good sort of thing <laughs> to come to the rules meeting. And uh, we show up, uh, you, you know, we go out there. So this is the only guy that didn't go to the rules meeting, okay? Didn't hear – he sees me basically putting my blindfold on. He sees it as like a sign of disrespect, right? And he's telling the referee, like, let, let me get a blindfold and all this kind of stuff. And it was really honestly like a scene. And then the guy um, – but it was because he didn't come to the rules meeting, you know. And he was kind of – he was – he started to be okay with it during the match. Anyways, you know, um, I could just feel, though, honestly, you know, like there's a certain – when your jiu-jitsu depends on feeling, you can feel when you have the upper hand the moment you even touch somebody, you know. It's just like a sense uh, that you develop. You know, it's like like I can feel my uh, – I don't want to say that my technique's more polished, but I can feel that pretty soon, you know, pretty early on. I think most high-level grapplers can tell that, you know. 
and either they're going to feel that and be cautious and um, and strategize to where they can win adjusted to their strategy, or they'll feel um, like a lion going after a gazelle, basically, you know, and they'll go on the attack freely and with, you know, no reserve, no worry about the other guy. Uh, and, and, you know, high-level defense will – enable you to feel that way you know so you have to have good defense in order to you know be effective blindfolded I, I feel like so blindfolds a great tool for that uh, anyways um there's videos online you know he can't take me down any and, and he was honestly kind of running from me the first bit uh because he could feel that too he felt uncomfortable anytime he touched me um which a lot of guys you know feel that way uh also especially from stand-up you know my stand-up used to not be that way it used to not be so in uh, I guess I used to not be so comfortable with it. Um, so I would stiffen up and, you know, uh, I, I'd get injuries and I wouldn't like to do stand up. I'd pull guard. You know? <laughs> that was too much work. Um, I had too much of a disadvantage against bigger guys. But once I adapted like my posture and, you know, uh, and learned to relax a little bit, I became more effective up against bigger opponents or better opponent, you know, people who had more experience doing takedowns. Um, anyways, he felt uncomfortable, and then anytime we went to the ground, I, he would immediately be in danger of me putting him in a submission, almost immediately. Um, and it went to an overtime uh, where uh, he had my back. I escaped the back. Um, this is in the overtime, right? They had like a – it was like a couple-minute overtime, right? Like it wasn't really – it didn't stop once you escaped the back. It just started in bad positions. So I escaped the back. And I tapped him out during the time that he – so I tapped him out with Anaconda. So I escaped the back, tapped him out with Anaconda, just because that was like the first – honestly, we I didn't even feel like we grappled during the whole match because there was just a lot of running, you know. Um, and I learned a valuable lesson from that, which I'll talk about later. Like I shouldn't be making people feel uncomfortable so much, you know. Uh, if, if I make them feel too uncomfortable, they won't attack me. They won't. They won't uh, – like, I, I'm not luring them in enough. I'm making them too cautious, you know. So, at that point, it was a little harder for me to catch submissions because my opponents would have their guard up, you know. They would have their guard up a lot. Um, and you can do that just with your body, you know, and your body language and the way you shift your weight the moment somebody grabs you, the moment you make contact. Uh, anyways, then, I, uh, then it was my turn to get his back. I flattened him out and uh, rear naked choked him. Um, you know, so I moved on and, and afterwards, like I'm waiting on the next round and he comes up to me and he's like, he was like, I just want to say, you know, you know, I shook his hand afterwards and stuff. I was, uh, you know, I, I showed respect to him. And he's like, I just want to say, um, you know, I, I thought it was disrespectful and all this kind of stuff. He thought it was, and he was just going on and on about how disrespectful it was. And, and like, in a nice way. And I was like, I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing this for anybody else. Like, like I'm, this is just something I have to do. I explained in the rules meeting and, you know, everybody was okay with it. And so, you know, so we had a disagreement for several days and his students, you know, I mean, he, he had a lot of guys there from his school. Like his students were, you know, furious. <laughs> his students were furious. Um, but, uh, you know, I think more so his feelings were just hurt, you know. Um, and, you know, I kind of explained that to him. He, he was harassing me on Facebook a little bit. And I was like, you know, like, 
you'll be okay. You know, <laughs> everything's all right. Like I've did this for me. It's in the past. Like, like I can see how you would see it that way, but I understand from the bottom of my heart, don't take it that way. I'm not like, wasn't doing it to be disrespectful. It was something I had to do for me. I mean, heck I went out there and lost a match too, you know, but it was learning to deal with that failure. You know, it's learning to deal with failure. You know, I increased my odds of failure by going out there blindfolded. Um, it was facing my fear, you know, and, um, but anyways, go to my next match. It's against another black belt. My next match, you know, and I, I, I tap him out. I throw him over my head, tap him out. I don't, I don't remember one of the submissions is on there. All my matches ended by submission and all my matches started standing. Uh, and I got the takedown. So I threw him over my head a couple times. You know, they were trying to sneak up on me and suplex me and stuff. And I'd keep my base and then throw them the moment they'd try to throw me. Um, then, uh, you know, and then I went up against Quentin and Quentin, uh, you know, he kind of like slapped my hand, uh, faking like an arm drag. So I'm like sitting here and he like touches my hand, you know, and, and I kind of like react a little bit, like it was just enough reaction for him to like sit on my leg, you know, <laughs> and he, he gets my leg real deep right off the bat, which I got out of the, you know, I, I kind of made a, I mean, basically get out of it, try to, you're starting the match in the tightest heel hook. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I get out of the first one just a little bit, and then I got to get up, and I'm, like, falling back. And, you know, and, again, he is a vicious heel hooker. Uh, heel hooker. I mean, he's just a finisher. He's finished a lot of big names Quentin has. And uh, that's his game, you know. I got stuck. Uh, in my opinion, you know, that same, he would have put me in the same heel hook and I wouldn't have been wearing the blindfold. You know, the, I had proved to myself that I was grappling with the blindfold at the, at the same level that I could without, you know. Uh, so to myself, I'd prove that, you know, it was a good experience for myself. If Quentin would have had me in that heel hook, if I didn't have the blindfold on, I still wouldn't have got out, you know. I still would have – I mean, I would have made the same mistake. So, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from his victory. Um, but um, then I had – they gave me, like, a third-place match, which normally they don't even have third-place matches. And they gave me a third-place match against, you know, some other guy that was in the semifinals. And, you know, I, I beat him and tapped him out, flat, flattened him out, tapped him out. Uh, you know, and of course, when I go to those things, they're all screaming – when we get in the position for the flip arm bar, they're like, don't, they're going, he's going for that move, you know? <laughs> and like, everybody's like, but uh, no, it's, it's fine, you know, but I don't really like, I don't know. Once I've competed in a tournament a couple times, uh, it's just hard for me to be motivated to go back. You know, once I win a, the divisions, it's like, I'd rather spend thousands of dollars and go compete in the Abu Dhabi trials in New York for six minutes and, you know, just because I know there's potential for better guys there, you know, and, and it's going to be a mental challenge either way. So at this point, you know, I think I'm going to do a little bit less super fights and more kind of traveling and trying to compete in those big tournaments, you know, but. Have you always been into training uh, leg attacks as a part of just like overall what you do? Um, You know, <laughs> I want to say, so when I was a blue belt, right, like I was one of those guys that was a blue belt and was like, I learned, I learned the straight ankle lock because there were some killers in my class, you know. So I was making other blue belts squeal with the straight ankle lock, beating guys be that were better than me because I had that, you know. And then 
and then going and then of course you know I did MMA so I learned the hill hook quicker than most of the other people in my class we were doing hill hooks and all that kind of stuff earlier um so you know toe holds all that kind of stuff um anyways um I don't think I really got a lot more in depth when the with the hill hooks until after I got hill hooks about 10 times you know uh, my de yeah. defense got a lot better not heel hook just I would just say leg locks you know I'm a long guy I got big long skinny feet they're very far away from my body you know so like they're easy to latch onto. I gotta get you know so um I, I think for a long time it was probably uh behind a lot of my jiu-jitsu just because I didn't have a lot of people attacking my feet you know um so here recently since I've been a you know since my my leg locks have improved much over the period of the time that I've got my black belt, you know, before that blue belt, purple belt, they kind of stayed about the same and they kind of stayed at those. Yeah. You know, I could definitely finish guys with them. Uh, I definitely, you know, knew the nitty gritty of how to get out, you know, but um, I don't think I, you know, foot locks have definitely evolved a lot in the past, you know, several years. And one of the reasons they've evolved is just because more people are attacking them. It's not just because of the systems that are being developed. It's because those systems are popularized that other people, you know, they're, they're realizing they can go for them. So, you know, you got like everybody in the Academy that's at least trying one foot lock or so. Whereas before, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, when I still had been doing jujitsu for uh, seven years back then, you only had a few guys in the academy that go for leg locks. You know what I'm saying? So at that point, like, you just weren't in – you weren't in leg locks a lot, you know, <laughs> unless you just put yourself there. And, um, you know, I guess that was just an overlooked thing. So uh, definitely uh, – I've definitely been able to adapt a lot of the concepts that go into, like, escaping side control to escaping foot locks, you know the same way they go into attacking footlocks into escaping footlocks. My footlock defense has probably for me evolved the most, uh, as is a certain area of my game from, I would say all my areas have evolved, but because footlocks had more of a deficit and less attention paid to it, there's been a lot more, uh, percentage of a, a bigger percentage of growth in that, that area, you know, got more guys attacking my lot legs. I've gotten, a lot better at attacking the legs. Uh, so my students are getting better at attacking the legs. Um, and I'm getting better at defending the legs as a result of that too, you know, so. Yeah, definitely, man. Just putting, like what you said, just putting yourself in them, getting, putting yourself out there. Uh, that was a big catalyst for me. And it was, it was about the same trajectory. I was probably about my brown belt when I started really diving in super hard. Uh, trying to better my heel hooks and things that just like they hadn't been legal for me in IBJJF yeah. and blue and purple. I competed a lot in IBJJF. Well, and I think then again, you also, yeah, so they're illegal. So why even practice them? You know, most of the rules back then were, you know, I mean, honestly, I have a vicious straight ankle lock. Like, I mean, I tap out a lot of black belts with straight ankle locks. Okay. And a lot of people don't have a good straight ankle lock. And I'm talking about a technical straight ankle lock. But um, anyways, and I've developed that over time. But a straight ankle lock is one of the hardest move leg locks to get good at. You know, <laughs> it's one of the hardest leg locks to get good at. Like, uh, 
you're people are used to they're afraid to train leg locks because most of the time when you start there against somebody else they're just going to go hard you know the whole time you're afraid that they're going to go hard and something's going to snap you know so you don't you're not training gentle enough with each other so you're not just getting in there and feeling the positions and experiencing and shifting your weight and you know honestly feel like a lot of the theory behind leg locks five years ago that I was taught would just was not correct either you know it was just like it was a way to stall defending or you know or to force an attack to work rather than you know allowing it to work again you know allowing it to work and understanding the pressures that you can create with postures from there um there's a whole bunch of cool uh concepts uh and i will i will say as far as the leg locks the way that i've been doing them from the folks that have been training with me um there's and the way that I've been defending leg locks, um, especially over the past couple of years, like there's been nobody doing it the way that I'm doing it right now that, that I personally train with, you know, I do see some of the higher level guys, like I'll see them making the same shapes with their bodies, you know, even if they're not realizing, but there's some details, some key details on my site that you should probably check out. You know, I'll get you, I'll hook you up with a, you know, like a month free so you can nav- navigate the site and check out some of those Thanks, videos, man. you know, um, but anyways, um, no, I was, I think it's important, you know, it's just a b- better attitude to have to work on your weaknesses, you know, nowadays, I think that's a new mentality too. It's a millennial thing, you know, it's like back in the, back in the day, it's like, you know, who's the best arm wrestler. It's like, you know, and then it's like, it's just so competitive, that old school mentality. And, you know, if you think about how much of an ego, your parent had and how much of an ego their grandparent had compared to them, you know, and then how much of an ego, like, I think gradually, you know, as times change, your egos kind of go away too. Like it's more acceptable to not be an alpha all the time, you know, and you can't have that mentality in training. It's not about who's the alpha, you know, it's about sharpening your sword while you're in there, you know, (laughs) that's how you become the alpha, you know, you just, you just try to make yourself better and not worry about any really whatever anybody else thinks about you, you know, experiment, play, get in these bad positions and, and don't try to hurt your partner. Don't be a, don't try to prove to your partner that you're an alpha, you know, try to make them fall into a trap, let it work. Um, just mentalities that you can adapt into your training. You know, it's just a great, great mentality to have. I didn't have that early on. I had smash grind, I've got to beat this guy that's beating me. And it wasn't until I humbled myself that my growth just skyrocketed. My, my, it was exponential after that. Um, I was average before I was an average guy that worked hard. Now I'm a guy that works smart and it's made my jujitsu different than a lot of folks, you know, just because, um, just because I feel like, um, my mentality is a little bit different during training. You know, I'm not saying it's just me or anything, but it's it's just, I wish I would have known that earlier. I wish I'd have been a better training partner, you know? Man. Um, yeah. You, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but do you feel like with this approach that you've developed, you get injured less now? Oh, so, so much less. I get, so, so that's a good reason. So I developed, I, I was forced to develop this type of training for myself or I was going to, I was going to not be able to do jujitsu anymore. I was teaching kids classes and I mean, I was doing takedowns with like two weight vests on. And it was like, I knew if I trained harder than everybody else that I was going to be successful, you know? Um, 
So if I just, but I was, I was training hard and I was putting in a lot of mat time. So my body at a young age, my spine was experiencing a lot of injuries. You know, I was teaching a kid's class one day and I was just jogging. And because of my spinal injury, I collapsed and I had to have my kids roll me off the mats. And this is probably when I was like 24, you know? So I felt like I couldn't move, you know, uh, like, and I was like, man, I'm too young to be having this stuff. And like, I want to be able to be old, like Carlos, no offense, Carlos and Hickson, uh, doing, you know, get, getting older and still being effective in jujitsu. I didn't want to do jujitsu that way. You know, that I couldn't keep doing the jujitsu competitively against all my training partners and still make it healthy at the same time and get better. More mat time, the more mat time you have means the more opportunity you have to get better. And if you're going ham all the time, you're not going to be able to put in a lot of mat time because your body's going to be a wreck. You know, your body's going to be a wreck. You won't be able to keep it up. You're going to, and a lot of these guys, you know, the way that they do jujitsu, even though it's may be successful now for them, it won't be successful, you know, 10 years from now for them. You know, it's not going to be successful, maybe not five years from now, you know, and I want my jujitsu to be, to feel better, you know, not feel worse because my body's getting decrepit. So I used to get so many injuries. Uh, now I can train more. I got less injuries. I'm stronger. I work out harder. I'm more flexible. Uh, I try not to lose the gains that I make. You know, I work out always right before my training sessions, like for at least an hour, you know, doing something. Um, physical typically weights. I'm like into kind of like, the way bodybuilders lift weights. So it's like a hyper-focused lift where, you know, I can't pick my arms up after I'm done working out. I got like a pump or whatever. And then I'll go in there and do gi jujitsu where I can't like grab a hold of somebody's collar. I can barely help squeeze my hand. So I'm having to like roll my fingers and instead of squeezing hard, I'm having to hang my weight into my fingers to where I'm not pulling with my muscles rather than I'm just kind of hanging my weight in places. Right. So then I'll grapple for two hours. So after I'm done training, I'll grapple for two hours where I can barely move. And because of that, I'm not using my attributes, you know, I'm just trying to like squeak through cracks and change my postures and hang my weight and apply my weight, and, uh, you know, and, and set traps. I can't sit there and like try to break down walls. You can't sit there and try to break down walls for two hours. You got to learn to like, make those walls fall for you or, you know, be like water and find the, find the cracks, you know? Um, but, um, so it, it forces you to be in that mentality. I think training for a long time, you eventually have to hit that, that wall where you're like, okay, I got to train smarter. I think I hit it at an, I was thankful to hit it at an earlier time in my jujitsu. You know, I don't have to wait till my body's falling apart when I'm, 40 to figure that out you know um i'm at an age now where my body's still able to heal itself and i feel like all those years of punishment i did on it were made up and my body's been allowed to recover before i enter the phase where my body can't heal as well anymore you know my body's recovered through all this healthy jujitsu not only has it been healthy for my body to do jujitsu that way it's been healthy for my friendships in in the mat room because I have less of an ego so people want to train with me they have fun they're experiencing like a great time 
when they roll, you know, they're having a blast. They're wanting to be back. I've got more dedicated students because of that. So it's helped my friendships. It's helped my relationships. It's helped me stay more calm when, you know, like uh, a panic in life is being thrown at me, you know, just to where I can make a clear decision. You know, I'm a lot more level headed than I used to be um, because of that too. You know, as you, you do a lot of growing from the time, you know, you change a lot as a, an adult from the time you're 24 to the time you're 30. I'm 31 now, fixing to be 32, you know? So, I mean, just mentally you change a lot, you know, you learn a lot from your mistakes. You're a different person. I think you should be a different person if you're trying to be a better person, right? You shouldn't be the same person that you were when you're 24. You should be a person that's been hardened by some of your experiences and you should be an advanced person. You know, <laughs> you should, in my opinion, you know, you should be at least a striving for that, you know? Um, Anyway, so you change a lot from that time. And, and um, I, th I think the more change you can cause during that time, I think there's a certain time where people kind of are more able to be uh, set in their ways. You know, by the time they hit their 40s and stuff, it's like they're set in their ways. They're set in their routines. They're set in their uh, ideals, you know. So you got these uh, – the older generations, I feel like, are more set in ideals and more – uh, you know, typically more less likely to, to change the way they think, you know, and um, jujitsu has forced me to be constantly accepting of changing the way I think, you know, um, for that, it's affected my life positively. It's affected my relationships. It's affected me as a entrepreneur. I'm more successful in my business. I'm more, you know, open to the idea of internet videos and, and I think it's, you know, hopefully my son or, you know, whoever ends up taking over my school whenever, like is more accepting, you know, by that time, like they've learned from their, uh, my ways of obviously there's going to be some things that I could do better too, you know, but uh, I think that's kind of like the point, right? Like it's part of evolution. Yeah, man, that's a great mindset. Um, one thing I've seen you doing that is uh, I wanted to comment on, and I've seen like, man, I remember when I, the very first time I watched Choke, which I was a white belt still. And it was, that was just like a super inspirational moment for me. But I remember Hickson and Hoyler getting into that ice water in Japan, right? Like, and then I've seen you do the same stuff, man. Dead of winter, you're like, let's go jump in this creek ice baths that's something that um man some people like my wife she will not even put an ice pack on her injured foot you know what i'm saying but <laughs> that is that something that how does that tie into what you're doing is it, it's more than recovery it seems like so much and it's just yeah it's it that gets into i, I would say it helps you get into the mental and spiritual side of it the ice bath is is not only, i mean obviously there's Tremendous amount of health benefits, you know, to the ice bath. Tremendous amount of weight loss benefits and stuff too. To me, that's a side effect. I would take ice baths even if the health, even if health-wise, they did nothing for me, you know, because I know what they do for me mentally. Um, and I know also what they do for me spiritually. Okay, uh, so as a, I'm not, I don't have a hard life. I don't consider, you know, I did it once, and me being. Uh, young and growing up and having some experiences and some hard times 
uh, mentally, it's good for your brain to go through hard stuff and overcome, right? In life now, I mean, I'm a jujitsu teacher. I get to wake up and like go work out. You know, my, my wife is awesome. Uh, I got a beautiful kid. I'm super blessed. Like, um, and I don't try to take those things for granted, but she lets me, you know, me getting better is part of my job. You know, I feel like me getting better at what I do, increasing the value, you know, so I've always, even as a, like, I, I'm the guy that cleans the mats. I'm the guy that teaches all the classes. And I'm also the guy that's spending probably more time training than I am teaching or as much, you know? So, I mean, um, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll get up, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to teach class, uh, do everything that I want to do. So my life's not very hard. You know, I don't go through hard things. I don't go to a job. I don't have to discipline myself to go to a job that I don't want to go to. You know, that's all people who do that get to, they face mental challenge. They face challenges every day. You know, going to their job is a challenge. Going to my job is not a challenge. I love it. You know, it's, I love everything about it. Um, I think people get, uh, you know, especially in today's world, like things are easy, you know, we're so used to doing things that are just like easy for us, you know, doing things that are easy. Uh, everything's easy. Communicating with people are easy, is easy. Working out's easy because you can listen to your favorite music and stuff like we're used to being pampered. Right. So mentally in life, you're going to go through some challenges, you know, relatives, loved ones are going to die. You're going to have to face those challenges, you know, tons of examples, you know, like I said, the, I'm, I'm one who likes mentally, if I don't want to do something like I'm like fighting myself not to be in that ice bath. I don't want to be in the ice bath before I get in there, or at least I didn't, you know, no, nobody does, but it's that facing your fear, your brain is basically exercised every time you face a fear, right? I, mean, I feel like your brain and your spirit are hardened when you face your fears, you know, you'll be more likely to face your fears better face real fears. You know, I'm facing the ice bath. The ice bath is a good emulator of fear. Um, every time, every time you get in there, it's, it is scary. Uh, you get better at coping with fear. Does it get any easier jumping in? It does. uh, Well, I look forward to it. I'll tell you, I look forward to it. Not because it never, it don't really get easier jumping in. And I think Vim Hoff, one of the things he's, he said one time is like, he was talking about getting in the, the, the water. And he said, he said, I got in that water and I was so cold. I wanted to crawl inside my own a-hole, you know, is <laughs> what Vim Hoff said. <laughs> like oh, it's man. cold to him every time, but you learn that like, like you do get a exhilarating feeling uh, after you get out. And it's that exhilarating feeling of accomplishment. You get that feeling of like, you know, if climbing Mount Everest was easy, you wouldn't get a good feeling when you climbed it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's the buildup beforehand. It's enduring the fear and facing the fear. It's being afraid of the challenge and conquering the challenge. Humans need to, I feel like there's like a chemical released or something whenever that happens. And it, it helps keep your brain sharp. It helps keep your, your, your brain working well. You know, you're not just like, uh, like a zombie kind of going through the motions. It like, it just, it really helps. I, I feel like 
humans are meant to feel that way. You know, I feel like it's something that we're not working out. We're not exercising, you know, anything that you neglect can get atrophy, atrophy. If you don't use something, you don't, uh, you know, it can waste away. It can waste away. Your, uh, your respiratory system is one of those things. Your cardiovascular system is one of those things. And, you know, humans ability to react to the cold, your body eventually evolves over time. You grow more blood vessels. Your body is able to, your body experiences all this stuff and it improves itself when you do a lot of ice baths in a row. It's not just physically though, it's mentally. I feel like your brain starts to, you just start to like appreciate things more. You start to appreciate the little things. Facing your fears makes you appreciate little things that you often overlook, details that you can see in jujitsu. You know, it's a, it's a little things. And you, you, I feel like the ice bath, ice bath makes you feel more grateful too when you get out, you know, you're grateful for not being in there when you get out, you know, you're like, it feels, have you ever crawled into a cave and been in there for hours? And then you come out and you feel that sunlight and you're like, I'm, you're like, or even a movie theater for that matter during the day, like you come out and you're like, the sun feels so much better. I'm meant to feel this like, and it only feels this good because I deprived myself of it for so long, you know? So uh, you get that mental stimulation and I feel like, I don't know, I feel there's going to be more science behind that in the future. I feel like that, that are going to prove that it's good for you. You know, I feel like if you want to get your vision better, like you should try to do eyeball exercises, you know, you should try to like, uh, you, you know, there's cognitive drills. You should try, maybe try to play basketball and do, you know, paint and draw and do stuff that has a lot to do with visual stuff, you know? if you want to make your hearing better, I feel like listen to music, play music, like try to pick out sounds. And, you know, there's, there's exercises and cognitive. There's a lot of ways we can work our brain that we, we don't, we neglect, you know, that's one of them. I feel like. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, like you, so you mentioned karate, obviously jujitsu, but, um, are there any other martial arts that you have a, a background in that you've trained over the years? Or, or you know study no uh typically i've been at one dojo the whole time uh started martial arts at 15 and well we do kobudo too which is uh basically like old weapons you know uh fighting with uh, uh ryuku kabuto and uh it's it's an island chain in japan part of okinawa uh, where they learn to fight with like farm tools which at that time were like so it's kobudo means ancient warrior weapons which is you know fighting with uh you'll see the eku which is the boat or the the nunchaku uh, and the sai the tonfa the commas the little sickles uh and uh the bow which is you know the staff or the stick so we do that kind of stuff too but uh, really passionate about uh karate and jiu-jitsu obviously you know like that's that's what my dojos always offered is what my instructor did and i just kind of fell in love with both of them i'm definitely a believer and lover of all martial arts though i think there's good in all of that kind of stuff i uh i'm in coleman alabama so it's kind of like not near anything so like you, you can't if i went to a kung fu instructor it would be some mcdojo thing you know what i'm saying it would be like a same way if I, you know, I wanted to be a ninja for a long time. If I went to a ninja class, um, which I have before and, you know, I don't 
for the most part, I do think ninjas are bogus. Okay. Most people that do ninjutsu is kind of bogus, but, uh, anyways, um, no, I mean, there's just, if there was a sword school around, like a cool one, like I'd go to it, you know, I'm into everything martial arts. I used to watch Kung Fu movies. I've done some Kung Fu classes, some legit ones. We learned some cool katas back in the day. Uh, that was about what I got out of Kung Fu. I never, you know, just like we didn't spar in the Kung Fu class. So I can't really be, I can't really speak of, you know, how good the instructors were sparring, but uh, I think everything has something fun to offer, you know, like that too. For sure, man. I've, I've cross-trained a little bit. I have two Wing Chun dummies, and I work with the guy right now, which is from the Philippines. He's Chinese. He's a doctor, uh, orthopedic surgeon, but he lives nearby. He, he's His kids have grown up, and they got white belts, and he's like a six-stand in judo, too. But, um, man, he knows sword, so I get to work out with him. And, and it's fun. Him. I think it's fun to get that different approach, get that different – it's fun to be a student, you know, and pretend you don't know anything. I mean, you, you don't know anything, you know? So, I mean, it's fun to be the guy that doesn't know anything. And it's just, I, I, I love the art behind everything. There's an art behind everything. You know, there's an art behind talking on this podcast. I'm obviously have no interest in learning that or being good at it because I'm not, but, uh, but you know, if you're passionate about something, if you're like, Hmm, that's kind of interesting. Well then follow it. And eventually you might love it. And, you know, and, and you, it's anything that you can express yourself through, I think is just good for you mentally. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good for me. Karate always gave me a balance with jujitsu. You know, if, if I wasn't having fun in jujitsu, I was like having fun in karate, and if I, but I still kept doing jujitsu. So it kind of kept me involved and, and the opposite happened. You know, I wouldn't have fun in karate, but I'd be having fun in jujitsu. And then I'd use some things that I learned in jujitsu over in karate and then you lose some, things I learned in karate over in jujitsu and then try this kung fu move here you know and it's it kind of makes training fun and it's just it makes it interesting and I think it's good to always come to training if you can hungry you know if you're hungry for something you need to feed yourself you know and you never know you 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 might you don't have to you don't have to have aspirations to be a world champion because to enjoy doing something you know what I'm saying so it's just it's just good for your brain Karate has made my jujitsu so much better. Just having that outlet, you know, having that other means of a way to express myself, you know, so. Nice. Man, I know you've done, uh, you mentioned this a little bit of MMA. I actually didn't know that. And somebody was like, yeah, he's actually fought a few times. Um, is that something you just like you did as kind of a test? Would you be open to it again? What? So I'm, so training for MMA I never liked MMA um I, you know I'm not gonna say I'm gonna be a different person in in five years you know what I'm saying so I will say right now no I don't have interest in doing MMA um just because typically the attitude the MMA promotes like I don't like being involved with promoters it's just kind of a, a, I feel like every time I fought MMA I felt like I was on the Jerry Springer show you know what I'm saying you kind of feel like you're involved in like a it, I don't know, you know, I mean, especially like when I can like go teach a seminar and like change people's lives and stuff, you know what I'm saying? I have my nose. Uh, so I had three professional fights. I had zero amateur fights. I went straight pro. My first guy I fought was a Bellator fighter. Um, it was in the 185 division, but I walked around at 185, you know, so 
none of my opponents ever made weight, except for my, my first opponent, I think, made weight. Um, they caught, uh, I was a Pan Am champion at this point, so they couldn't find me an amateur fight. Uh, they didn't do professional fights inside Alabama, so I was I fought in Tennessee for my first fight. Um, fought a Bellator guy, took his back, flattened him out, choked him um, in the in the first. No, 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 no. I, I flattened him out and then I, I pounded him out. You know, a pound, a TKO. So um, I think I swept him with like a plotter or something, and then like uh, ended up getting his back and flattened him out. Uh, but anyways. Um, so I was already a Pan Am champion at that point. Um, later they, uh, so that guy had, he was like 14 and O as an amateur and he was two and O as a pro already that I fought. And they gave him because nobody wanted to fight a Pan Am champion, you know, at that time. Cause like, uh, like, especially if you're, if you had like at that point, like, uh, guys who were like purple belts were like, you know, tearing up MMA around here you know what I'm saying so like they couldn't find me an opponent and I, I went straight pro but anyways um my next fight was in Alabama and I was I believe I was the first pro fight at least on the first pro card in Alabama um so if not one of the first pro fights in Alabama but um anyways uh my second fight several opponents backed out showed up overweight um me think oh i fought a guy that uh it, it was a guy that fought john jones that it was his last fight before he went to the ufc this guy like he like went to like the second or third round with john jones like the end of the second round or the third round or something like that um he was out of the black zillions i fought him and uh i triangle choked him i believe yeah triangle choked him uh I triangle choked that guy first round again. Um, made made a decent amount of money. Still didn't like it though. Like it never like, like I was kind of fighting because other people expected it of me. You know they were like, well, you know you're good at this, so why don't you fight? And like, I don't know. Like I just I wasn't a good person when I was fighting either. Like I mean, when you're dieting, like and you're stressing out about a fight coming up, like I didn't learn very much. Uh, I wasn't happy. I was like kind of always on edge you know uh just because i this anticipation of this fight coming up i feel like it just i wasn't very productive as far you know i trained my butt off for these things but i i don't feel like i was the best version of me doing these things either i never really loved it like man i love this you know or had a dream for it third fight uh had some opponents back out i fought another guy and he had had a lot of fights i think he fought like rich clemeny or something like that but anyways uh um, triangle choked him in the first round. So I had three first round submissions. Um, and then a couple years later, uh, I decided to go try out for the ultimate fighter. And, uh, I went there, they flew me out to Vegas. You know, I, I submitted some black belt at the trials and like, in like 20 seconds with like an arm bar, like, and he was a Brazilian dude. I was just like, you know, and I was just, I was trying to, like I knew what the tryouts were for. So I was like trying to make myself flashy looking too. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to make myself, you have to try to make yourself stand out because there's guys that make it in the trials that like aren't any good, but they just are kind of crazy, you know, <laughs> and they'll get noticed by and picked up by these TV uh, folks. So they flew me out to Vegas. <laughs> I was very anti-steroid and stuff 
uh, at the time, which I still am, you know, I mean, if you want to take steroids, take it on your own time, but don't be like a fighter and take steroids, you know, like that's a cheater, you know? Um, so I'm just kind of like against all that stuff. And I'd had LASIK at this time too. Right. And I thought maybe, you know, for the big organization, it was going to be different. Like, but I remember sitting down in the big old conference room and they were at this time, they were like, if you're on steroids, just make sure you're off it at this date and stuff. Like you knew, you knew the date that like you had to be off of it. So these guys would just do steroids and they'd be off it on the set. So you basically had to be ignorant to fail the drug test, you know? So already this is ticking me off. And so I'm going to, to be on the 170 pound season. My last fight was at 170 and the other two fights were 185 and both my opponents showed up overweight. So they all felt like a lot stronger than me, you know, even though they're bigger. My last opponent was at 170. So I actually cut down and I felt like I actually felt big at that weight, you know, even though I was, uh, it, it was the first time I felt bigger and better than my opponents, you know? So I was like, okay, maybe this is the weight that I want to fight at. So, uh, I went to the doctor at, uh, the, you know, the ultimate fight, the UFC's doctor, they take you to the doctor and they give you a little exam and stuff. And the doctor told me, he was basically like, you know, you don't need to be fighting with the type of LASIK that you have with all the eye pokes going. He said, if I, I had an older style of LASIK, so if I get my eye poked, he said, like, he said, with as many eye pokes, I have, he said, if you, he said, if it happens to you, you're, you're going to lose your, your eye. He said, he said, I wouldn't be fighting if I was you, you know? And I was just like, all right, you know, so like, I mean, so that was just, I already didn't kind of want to fight, and then that kind of rubbed me raw, you know, because I want to be a father, I want to have my eyes, I want to be able to see my kids grow up, I want to be able, you know, and I, I mean, I wasn't a good person, there was just a lot of things, I didn't want to be, grow old and have a bunch of injuries, you know, I didn't, I wanted to go far as a martial artist, I wanted to do this at an old age, and I don't see myself doing that fighting, you know, I just don't see myself having a long I don't see myself being able to do martial arts for the rest of my life as likely if I fight, you know, if I make a career out of fighting. So it just wasn't for me. I didn't want to, you know, I tried it, didn't like it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get an itch, you know, in a couple of years, but right now I'm just, uh, I also broke my nose a couple of times during training and had surgery. And so I don't want to get, I, I spar with a mask now. I love sparring, but I always spar with like a, you know, a cage, Cause I just don't want to like, if my nose gets flicked, it might break, you know? So. Yeah, man, that's a great point about LASIK too. My wife, she's had five kickboxing fights, a couple MMA fights, but she got LASIK. Oh, was been 18 months ago, I think, but uh, I hadn't really thought about that. She has a good yeah, they, they said if you have an old style, yeah, my, my, uh, my wife got LASIK and they cut hers with a laser. They cut mine with a blade, right? That's how they did my wife's with the laser. Yeah. So if they cut with a laser, it heals like like it wasn't even there. Okay. But back when I got mine done, which it was like a graduation present for me, my mom got. Uh, so when I got mine done, they cut you with a knife. So when they cut you with a knife, they don't like, it's not like, it's not as fine, you know? So it leaves a more scar tissue. Um, you're, you can see fine and it don't look like I have scar tissue. But, like, the doctor can notice it when he uses this little um, microscope thing to look at my eye, you know. Um, he can tell I have scar tissue and he can tell. And, you know, occasionally, like, if I get poked in the eye, like, I can tell it hurts worse than – it don't feel like I did, like it did when I uh, 
before I had LASIK. You know what I'm saying? It like hurts like something like that. Like my body's not meant to hurt that way. You know? Yeah, man. Like, man, I've been hit, I guess, probably in that nerve in your eye before, like right there below your orbital bone. Um, and man, it just makes you sick feeling getting hit in the eye sometimes. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm drinking a lot of coffee. I'm going to use hey, the restroom well hey man let's just um let's just go ahead and wrap it up if that's cool daniel okay yeah no problem man i really uh i can empathize on the coffee too but uh, i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me man this has been uh, an awesome conversation uh thanks for all, all that you put out over the years you've been an inspiration to me and, uh, and a lot of other people appreciate it no problem thank you man all right man appreciate it take it easy see you see ya, see ya.